Hi, this is Raj Jai, and welcome to Agency Exits, where we talk with agency owners about their path to an exit. And today I'm talking with Tina Powell. And Tina has a really fantastic story to share about going as a solo agency owner and growing the agency and intentionally making decisions about what the right time is to exit. So she goes through her path and what it's like selling her agency to a larger agency and joining them and continuing her path as an agency owner in a team as opposed to a solo. So I think that's a fascinating journey to listen to. So let's jump right in and talk with Tina. Welcome to Agency Exits. Today, I'm joined by Tina Powell. She founded and grew C-Suite Social Media for five and a half years, and then she sold it to join an all-female-led team at Intentionally, an agency. She's also the host of In The Suite podcast, which shares amazing stories of women in business in the financial services industry. Thanks so much for being on, Tina. Raj, what a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited for today's discussion. Thank you again for having me. Yeah, so I'm just, I want to jump in because there's something that we had in our first discussion that was really interesting to me. And that is how important it was in your exit to join an all female team. And I think that pervades in a lot of what you do in your podcast and that. So let's talk a little bit about that and what it means to you. And then we can get into all kinds of good stuff about your story and how you got there. So tell me a little bit about that and why it was so important to you and what, what the result of having that kind of focus and purpose has been for you. Yeah. And I love the question, Raj. And one of the things that I want to make clear is that while I'm very pro-women, I'm also pro-men as well, too. So it's not at the expense of one over the other. However, I'm at a point in my life and a significant juncture in my life where it was really important that I think a lot of us female founders and female entrepreneurs share a lot of life challenges together. And we see life in a different way. We've had different struggles and different challenges, raising our kids, being wives, being spouses, being children of other parents. And it it wasn't initially a non-negotiable item for me, but I just felt very understood joining a female-led organization. And they appreciated the time, both my partners, Kelly Waltrick and Megan Richter here at Intentionally, my partners really looked at what I had created at C-Suite Social Media and knew how hard that was. So I felt that they shared they shared this similar philosophies, but they could also appreciate the value that I was bringing to the firm because they know how hard it is, you know, to balance work and to balance motherhood and to balance career and all of the other things that we're dealing with. The other part is part of my upbringing that I still carry with me. And I was raised by a single mother and I lived in a single parent household until I was in high school. So my mother was really paved the way. She was a pioneer. She herself eventually landed in financial services. So I really appreciate the struggle that female founders, she had a small bookkeeping business on the side that all female founders go through. And I'm really lucky that I landed. I could have landed in a lot of places, but 
It's just the more that I spoke to Kelly and Megan, the more in tune we were on the same page for so many different reasons. And also to our clients, things were just a natural fit. Things felt natural to me. And that's how you want to go into a that's how you want to go into a deal and a transition. There's really got to be a synergy. And that synergy is less to do with what's on paper and more of how you're feeling. I think that's really insightful. And whether or not someone is listening right now and they're male, female, you know, green, blue, whatever they are, that this is a people-based business, right? Agencies are people-based business. And that means that relationships matter and trust matters a lot. And that matters when you're building a team. And then when you're thinking about an exit, whether that exit is a sale and you'll have a period of time where you're working with the acquirer, or if it's you getting together and making a larger business together in, a, in some sort of merger, either way, the relationships matter. So it's great that you had that opportunity to find people who were so compatible. And then that was one of the heuristics you use. It's okay, I'm comfortable with these people. And it, regardless of whether it's you know all female or all anything, or it's just people you resonate with, I think that's a really underappreciated aspect of exits because people focus so much on the multiple and the money and all of those things. But the fact is, if you're going to have to live with this for a while, it's going to have to be a good partnership. Yeah. And Raj, the most important thing that we have is in agency work is being creative. What environments do we need to place ourselves in for us to do our best work? And that is so environmental. You know, what does the business look like? Are you working from home? Are you working in a traditional office environment? Is it a hybrid approach? Is it a distributed workplace? How far is it from your home? Are the walls painted? You know, you can look back and see that the walls here are painted a certain green. It's almost like that, that Tiffany color. I mean, I love being here. Mm -hmm. I can do my best work here. I love the finishes that we have all over the walls. I like what the things that, how our conference room is organized, how things are placed. I can do my best work because I put myself in that environment. Our energy fields are so important in an agency environment. What we do is create a problem solving every single day that we're here. And our agency right now is representing upwards of 50 clients. And all of those 50 clients, Raj, they all have unique scopes of work, unique goals, and unique challenges. And you really need to be able to think, and there's five of us in the office today, and we can each, we've been going, we've been sharing different offices. Some of us have been together. Some of us have been apart. Some of us have been working individually. All of that is, has to be in harmony with your being. And yeah. we look at, yes, financials are important that just, you know, I'm, one, I'm in finance. So I'm one of the first people to tell you that that's part of it. And that too needs to be a non-negotiable, but the culture that you place yourself in matters more than anything matters more than those financials. Cause your financials are going to go nowhere. Part of the success, a successful agency transition is the retention of clients. And then after that, it's the upselling of those clients. Well, if you're in a place that you really feel that you don't feel like it's your home, you won't be able to accomplish any of those objectives. So you've just taken your financials and your EBITDA and your multiple backed. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is interesting because it, the work can give you energy or can rob your energy. And a lot of that is a part of, do you like what you're doing from a technical perspective? Do you like who your clients are? 
because that's a huge piece of it. Do you like the people you work with? And I think that's an underestimated aspect of growing an agency and why a lot of us burn out. I mean, you and I had a discussion about how I started getting burnt out before I sold and how I didn't want to do it anymore. And a part of that is the part of it. I had since gotten good clients, but I think the environment that I had at least mentally, was not exactly 100% there. And I was, I'm not being a good dad because of this. I think I need to take a step back. That burnout is so real. And what I didn't realize, Raj, is how detrimental it was to my own health and my own sanity. And that was the reason that I had decided to sell C-suite and join intentionally is that we got to a certain level of sales and I was very proud of that goal. Like, yes, you finally hit that goal. I would say like the first three years of business, particularly the first two were super, super rough and mm -hmm. being able to stay in the game. I remember Neil Patel on one of his, he runs NP Digital and Marketing School. And I remember him saying, just stay in it for three years. Just don't look up and just, you know, have your head down to the grindstone and just do your work. And so I followed that advice. It was really great advice is just stay in the game, stay in the game. Well, then once, once you do that, your sales go up like a hockey stick mm -hmm. and that really proved to be true. But then I was working like, and I'm a person that has a lot of work endurance. I love, and a lot of us, Raj, you share this too, because when you're in your own business, you love what you do. It doesn't feel like work. So you'll put mm -hmm. in 50 hours, you'll work on the weekends, you'll check email, you'll just, you'll carry it with you. And that's all great, but it really started to take on, to take on a different animal. And I was just, I wasn't there for my partner and he was like, okay, Tino, you know, when are you done? <laughs> right. And, right. And yeah, I was like, after a while, it just wasn't worth it. There was so many things that were starting to happen and just like implode around me, my own leadership, particularly, I didn't become, I was really not the best version of myself anymore. And mm -hmm. the very things that get you to a certain level in your agency, well, those things could be stripped away, particularly if you get like overly stressed, overly worked. And that's what was happening to me. And my emotional intelligence, my EQ, my sales were going up. But my EQ was going down and I, I was convinced and I knew very much that something needed to change drastically. Yeah, well, that's part of the, we talked about the peril of the solo owner, right? Sometimes it is that when you are a solo owner, you, you don't have someone else to share the rough patches with, right? I mean, in the good times, you're, you have to share the profits and the bad times, you have to certainly share the rough parts of it. But I think that was one of the things that motivated me to go towards it. And I know for, you know, we had this discussion where you're saying that's one of the toughest things. So maybe talk about the solo owner journey that you had a little bit and how you started growing a team and where you got to before you were like, wait a minute, this is harder than I thought. So my agency spun out of, I come from a traditional wealth management background. I was a part owner in a wealth management firm. I was a partner there. And our firm was basically acquired by another firm. So I had this little tiny pot of gold. And then I really loved what I was doing at the firm and I wanted it to continue. So I wasn't sure what that next step was going to be, Raj. So I decided I became a consultant of the firm that acquired us. So that provided a little bit of runway. And then slowly mm -hmm. but surely, I just started to work with clients. 
And I put the name C-Suite Social Media out there. Naturally, I use social media to promote my small little business. And the most wonderful thing happened in that is that eventually we got customers. Eventually we got clients and we got to a certain part. And for a while, that worked out really well for me. Mm-hmm. However, if your goal is to grow and if you're growing quickly and you're taking on larger and larger clients at some point that you're going to need to have partners, you're not only going to need a team, but you're going to need partners and partners share the brunt of all those questions that are really hard to ask. Should we take on this particular client? Are we charging them enough money? Is my scope of work correct? You know, what does our business model look like? You know, what does our product line look like? What about our services? What should we be offering? Employees, and there's nothing wrong with employees, but employees have a different mindset. They don't necessarily have an owner's mentality. So I think one of the biggest regrets that I figured out in the long run, it wasn't a regret initially, Raj, because I didn't know necessarily what I was doing. And I was very happy when business was manageable, being a solopreneur was awesome. It was incredible. Mm -hmm. But then like you, I just figured out that I really needed partners. I was very lonely, even though at the height of C-suite social media, we had a team. If you add myself, we had a team of nine people. I was really proud of that. There was a time that the team was like really gelling. But at the same time, even though I was surrounded by a great team of people, I was very lonely. I had nobody to share those big, deeper entrepreneurial and business decisions that a partner would share. And I couldn't really talk to anybody about those problems, you know, other than families, friends, my partner. But you need to be able to talk to those. You need to be able to problem solve at work around your business and around your business model. Right. Yeah. I think that's something that most solo founders, they're stuck between two things. There's nobody to really talk to at home because unless they are in it, they'll never truly understand it. So my wife might be will listen to anything and give the best input she can, but she doesn't live it, right? So I, you know, it's not the same thing, but it's also once you've gotten a certain amount of revenue under your belt, then you're like, oh, wait, I, it's not really easy to bring on a partner at this point because I've built this thing until now. So what do you do? Do you, you know, join a mastermind group? Do you get a mentor? Do, there are all kinds of other things you can do, but it is interesting when you find your yourself at that point that, I need some help and do I join a bigger group or do I do something else? Because otherwise it's, it seems intractable, right? It's really hard to get be beyond a certain scale level without having either a fantastic management layer, which means surviving until you get to that management layer or going in with some bigger entity. And Raj, it's really interesting that you bring up the word mastermind because actually I joined two masterminds and because, you know, part of you, there's this self-doubt is, is there something wrong with me? And then when you're around other solopreneurs is that you figure out that they're, they can identify with almost everything that you're saying and doing. And, but at the same time, I think that and you tell me if, if you see this as an industry trend, I think consolidation is an industry trend because marketing is just getting harder and harder. And there are so many things that you have to do well, and it's impossible to be an agency, to be a small agency and have a core competency 
in all of these different things. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, right now we're over 20 full-time employees and then we have a bunch of ICs and, you know, freelancers who also too surround us, which is great. But how could you be great at all things? That was another yeah. thing as a solopreneur. I just said, you know what? I have a skill set to get the agencies to a certain level. But if I really want to take it to the next level and I really want to up level and attract a, a bigger client, which I wanted to, I love the challenge of a bigger client and the work that went along with it. There's no way you have to know yourself and you have to be able to really understand where your weaknesses and where your strengths lies and where your best opportunity. And it, at, for me, it was completely obvious that my best opportunity was to port over our entire client base and move into a larger agency that could, that could help us to offer better services, offer a better client experience. And that was more important to me than anything. But it yeah. takes a certain kind of leader, right, Raj? You can't, you're no longer CEO. And for me, that was liberating. I mean, I yeah. did the happy dance. Um, <laughs> exactly. right? That might not work for some people. For right. me, it worked brilliantly because that was the very problem that I was trying to solve. I yeah. no longer wanted to be the CEO, but at the same time, I wanted to run certain parts of the business, more of those like strategic projects, innovation projects, growth opportunities, partnerships, and even some of my own to work on a small sleeve of clients. And yeah. that joining a bigger agency afforded me and of those that, but you know, you have to understand as an agency owner, what's the biggest problem that you're trying to solve for? You don't, it's not utopia. You can't solve everything, but you have to really understand yourself. And that's hard to do. It's hard to look in the mirror and point your finger and say, you know what? I'm kind of falling short in this area. When you're that solopreneur, yeah. right, Raj? Who's there to tell you that? You're your yeah. own grader. I mean, it's so funny because you see other agencies from the inside. Like now I've seen so many from the inside and I've seen 1000 person agencies and I go there and it's held together with duct tape. It's just as dysfunctional as some of the smaller ones. They're just bigger. A lot of the same problems. So it's really interesting that we all get this imposter syndrome and we all, you know, I'm not good enough or I see, talk to some other agency owner and they're thinking, oh, well, I couldn't possibly be as good as they are because they're twice as big as I am. No, they're all broken inside. It's just a question of which fires they're putting out when. So once you get over that and say, okay, well, what's the right thing for me and my path? How big do I want this to grow under my leadership? And then what's the next step, I think is the question. And you rightly talk about the self-awareness of when are you in your genius zone? And if you are not, how do you get there? And is that is your genius zone continuing to grow the business or is it joining with someone else? And that answer is different for every person. And for your listeners and agency owners who are contemplating making a move, it's not a black and white, like immediate decision. There's a way for you to test your hypothesis. And for me over at C-Suite Social Media, it became very obvious. I basically started referring clients to intentionally and the clients were very sticky they thanked me. There was a natural fit. There was synergy. There was harmony there. I never, I never got the call back from intentionally that 
oh, how did you give us this client? Like everything was just working really great. So for agency owners listening right now, that I think that was the segue that afforded me a certain, a certain path to know that the organization that I would eventually sell to and join was the right decision. I didn't go in there cold. We had a relationship for years. I had been referring clients and a particular type of client. So talk a little bit more about that because to a lot of people that might be scary, right? Whenever the client comes to you and say, oh, I have a need to do X, a lot of agencies will find a subcontractor to do it. They just don't want to let go of that relationship because there's the fear that the client will just go somewhere else, that you can't service everything. So how did you, uh, what were those types of matters that you were saying, okay, I'll refer it out. And how did you get comfortable with that process that you wouldn't be cut out of the relationship? And that's an excellent question because I get it. And throughout my five and a half years at C-suite, I would not have been capable of referring clients in my beginning years, you are so desperate for cash flow. There's, and you take on even clients that you shouldn't even be working on in the first, like, first three years. You don't really know your ideal client profile and you haven't really refined those personas. So I want everyone listening to know that was an evolution and it is an evolution. And how I mastered it, Raj, was. The clients that I was eventually referring to intentionally were clients that weren't a right fit for C-suite social media. It was very obvious that what that client needed, I couldn't service. And as your agency grows, you're going to attract a larger client base and bigger clients, you know, as the amount of people, as your team grows. So I felt really good about taking, not taking on business that I knew that would be that I, we would have to bite off more than we can chew, that they weren't just great fit. So I felt very confident in that. I wouldn't have referred a client who was a great fit for us and a client that potentially that we would have really served really well. The other opportunity that I saw that I didn't see initially when I started the first agency, and that is that there are a lot of strategic partnerships there are large organizations that need lots of different types of help from, from marketing. And some agency might have, you know, like a core competency and a more of a specialization in let's call it sales enablement and lead gen, whereas another organization might have a better, might be better at like mass comms and maybe even social media. So there's opportunities to partner with other agencies. It's not for everyone. You have to be really extremely confident in your skin. You have to know and implicitly trust who that other person is, who those mm -hmm. other agencies are, because you could do yourself harm. You know, if you're not interacting with the right agency to begin with, you could lose your business very quickly. You know, yeah. your clients could go to another agency very quickly. So it's really important that you vet the owners of that other agency first. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. I want to layer on one other thing that people don't often think about because they think of it as a lot of risk. But you did something very smart, which is say, okay, what's my ideal client profile? Are they in there or not? And I'm going to refer everything away. When you dig down that way and you decide, okay, we're vertical or horizontal in the sense that we do this kind of service. We just do podcasting, let's say it as that, or video production, or 
we just do a market. So I just do financial services. In my case, I just deal with the legal market. When you do that, you actually increase the probability that someone will want to acquire you. Because if you're just a big blob of clients trying to do everything, that's not so interesting, right? They might be buying some revenue, but all the strategic investors, which could even be a non-other agency, it could be private equity, it could be a software company. I had a discussion with somebody who was sold to a software company. The number of acquirers actually increases by making that really strategic decision at the beginning. So it feels risky, but there is that upside. And I think you experience that upside in having that very targeted ICP as you took the agency forward. Yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. It's a really important concept. And look, you can you don't have to refer 10 people at once. No, you can just you can try it. And there were some mistakes along the way. So there was another agency that we were another small partnership. They were of similar size to us. That would be another thing that I learned from the beginning that I wish I had known from the beginning. And that is that I looked to partners with agencies that were similar to me, and I should have been actually partnering with agency owners who were complementary to me and who could do different things and who had a different lay of the land. Instead, I was looking at like attracts like, and where could I find like a similar replica of C-suite social media or a similar model? Mm -hmm. For example, that was early on and we were two, we were two employees and the agency that we were looking at was also two, two employees, right? right? <laughs> Mistake. Right. I, I, it feels less intimidating. That's all, right? Yeah. It's okay. I'm at their level, whatever that means, but versus saying, okay, really the way you look at the world is we do this. Are there this non-overlapping Venn diagram where there's like a very small overlap where no one's going to be poaching each other's clients. In fact, you have an incentive to refer so you can stick to the thing you're really good at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so tell me a little bit about the process, right? Because it, it sounds like you started getting to know intentionally through this referral relationship that you had over the course of a fairly long period of time. How did that transition into a discussion about how hey, maybe we should do something else together? So the amount of my referrals was picking up and I even transitioned one of our existing clients over to intentionally and intentionally and Kelly and Megan knew like, why would you, why would we do that? Right? So I was very upfront and I was very open and very vulnerable Raj, why I was doing that. And part of that was that I just felt that the client had outgrown the agency and where we needed to take the client, the client, we achieved wonderful success, but what got the client there and they were a client for a couple of years was not going to get them to the next level. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was a process of just being very open and being very vulnerable. And the other part or the other challenge that I was having is financial services requires a certain type of marketer to really want to be here. It's so challenging. I say, oh, it'd be so much easier to like market like a charcoal, you know, <laughs> facial or, right. you know, so right. I'm like, I wanna, stuff. exactly. I'm like, I want to market a day spa, you know? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I don't want to deal with compliance. 
<laughs> exactly. And we're behind asset managers, registered investment advisors, right. fintech platforms, hybrid REAs, consultants. I mean, the list goes on and on. You have to really know this space and you have to be in it. It's all encompassing and it's hard. So, you know, my team was starting to drop off. Part of that was my own, like when things got really hard, I wasn't necessarily the best version of myself. And the way that some of my team joined me, well, you know, Tina got a little bit more of a, just clearly I was under pressure and it was not as much fun, right? Culture has mm -hmm. changed a little bit over time because things got to be really super challenging. And I was having a problem with getting team members to stick in the industry. I noticed mm -hmm. that my team was leaving. The good thing, Raj, is that nobody left to join another, to join a competitor. They, they just actually, said, I'm out. Exactly. <laughs> They all left to go to two, two particular verticals, healthcare, number one, and IT, number two. Mm -hmm. When you bring a client over to another agency, you know, and you're shepherding through the process, you owe it to that other agency to be totally upfront and honest. Here's why I'm referring this business. And so by being open and being vulnerable, that started the process in motion. If I would have come, Raj, and pretended like everything's okay, I wouldn't be sitting here with you right now. Mm -hmm. That would have never have happened. And I would really encourage agency owners, it's not something you wanna be shouting to the rooftops, but you start to learn certain people that you trust in business. And we all need to know, look, we all, knew who, we all know who our competitors are, and I had talks with my competitors. I let them know, hey, here's what I was feeling. Was it uncomfortable? Yes. Was it risky? Mm -hmm. Yes. But for me, I couldn't fake it. I can't fake it. I can't and walk it, in, into a room and pretend like everything's all right. And I'm not yeah. going to do another agency owner disservice, especially another female entrepreneur, when I know how hard it is to be in a male-dominated industry and get to a certain level. I owe a responsibility, a moral obligation to that agency owner to be truthful and to be outright. And it's a lot less. The interesting thing is nobody does it being very open with people who might be potential competitors. But if you think about it, what's the real risk? I mean, it's not, what are they going to run around saying that, oh, you know, so-and-so actually opened up to me that they're not doing great. They're not going to do that. So. It's mostly in our head, it's our ego saying that we don't want to be perceived as not being perfect internally. When, as I stated earlier, it's all a disaster all the time for every agency internally. It's just different levels of disaster, different kinds of disaster. So you started having those discussions with the intentionally team or the owners there. And so how do you open, you've had that referral relationship, you're very open with them about how it's going with a particular client as you refer it, how does that transition into, I mean, I'd love to hear a little nitty gritty if you're willing to share about how does that transition into a very big other discussion? It's maybe we should combine forces here because that's not a natural discussion unless somebody brings it up first. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I would say that the environment and we, Raj, we were talking about this in the beginning, like your ability to do your best work is predicated on your environment. The timing of those talks and the location of those talks really matter. So I would say get out of the conference room, 
have these talks on neutral playing fields, have them at dinner, have them over coffee, have them if you're seeing another agency owner and you're at the same event, you know, have the talks there. And that's where the talks originated. So it wasn't one talk. It wasn't like one like aha moment, one, you know, come to Jesus, you know, (laughs) like all at once at the same time. (laughs) Exactly. And as an agency owner, you know, it's hard to part initially, you had just mentioned a key word and that is ego. So I would say like one talk led to another talk. It was very open and it was very unstructured. And I think that we both looked at the, we both looked at the opportunity. My partners here, Kelly and Megan, for they were open from the beginning, you know, they're still open. I think one of the best ways that agencies grow is through collaboration, strategic partnerships. And again, if you're in, if you're a solopreneur agency owner, you are eventually going to hit the wall, you know? So I would just say there was no magic formula other than, you know, as I had more and more talks with Kelly and Megan, they could see the more bumps on my head from hitting those walls. <laughs> and eventually I was like, look, you know, I just laid it out and they just laid it out. And we just saw a tremendous opportunity because I knew that I wanted to continue doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, that was it. I could see myself in a lot of different agency environments, you know, but I really have a love for financial services. I've worked really hard in this industry to create a name for myself. I've got a thriving podcast that will be ready to launch our 84th episode this month. That took a long time to develop Mm. relationships. And I really do love the challenge of being here. And they, on the opposite side, Raj, they too needed to fill a need. And that is that talent acquisition I'd be curious to see what, if you're seeing that on your side as well and hearing that from agency owners, how do you acquire the right talent and the right team matters? That is, that's the $10 million question, right? Because it's such a people business. And we're talking at a time when that landscape is shifting with technology. So people are being replaced by technology in a lot of aspects of digital marketing. So I think that there is there, there are two answers to that. I think there are people who view agency acquisitions as financial engineering, where someone's trying to roll up a bunch of them or acquire a bunch of them just to get big as fast as they can to uh, you know, sell to somebody else, to go public, what they're doing. And there are others which are thinking about an acquisition as I'm getting this talent, mm-hmm. more, more so the talent than the client pool. I'm getting this talent and the processes and the knowledge that they have. And it's a much more thoughtful process versus the rush to roll up a bunch of P&Ls into a bigger thing. So I think that acquisitions are a fantastic way of doing it on both the buy and the sell side, because you also get a chance to, as a seller, to place your team in a place where they can do their best work. You know, In my case, I explicitly negotiated. It's like, there's one part of the team there that you cannot touch them. You may not fire these people. It doesn't matter what you, they have jobs for life. They've took a big risk with me. And that was one of the things I just put on the table and my acquirer, great, they're great folks and they've lived up to their word, but it's one of those things where is it a people acquisition or is it just a financial acquisition? And for me, it was the latter. 
it was that we were both like, I was providing the talent and I like the money really wasn't motivated by that at all. I really mm -hmm. just fundamentally wanted to solve the problem of just like hitting a wall, getting to a certain amount of growth, wanting to get over that hurdle of growth, but also be in business with other people. I no longer, mm -hmm. I found solopreneurship very isolating and very lonely, no matter how many masterminds, Raj, that I went to, no matter how many communities I was a part of, no matter how many trips over here and here's your mastermind and, you know, get together in person every quarter. I felt like, yeah, that was great. That was a rush of adrenaline. In some cases, there was real novelty attached to that, you know, hearing from different agency owners and meeting people for the first time and going to different venues. That was all very exciting. But at the end of the day, you know, the hardest decisions are made like in the most loneliest of moments. And I was like, I really need to have the counsel. I need to have other people who can relate to what I'm going through. I really wanted to, I felt like I, I wanted to be on the journey with other people. Mm -hmm. So I didn't look at the financials, quite honestly. And I also looked at the client. I just felt a responsibility, you know, as agency owners, we, we work with our clients for years and years. They are really important relationships. I wanted to do right by the client and I wanted to just be able to look back and look at them in the eye and for them to say, here is a measure of success. Thank you, Tina. You know, <laughs> and as I look nearly every single client there, except for one. And that client had just gone through their own merger and acquisition. So the, the, their own business, like, you know, changed and marketing was done, being done more through like the home office. But mm -hmm. aside from that, every other client has still been here and they could have e easily said no. So I love to, I love to, you know, talk with clients and I'm no longer on the account management side, but for me to pop in every once in a while and they're like, oh, we love it here. Yeah. Agency work is no matter how you slice it and dice it, I feel like it's hard work. It's work that's forever changing. You mm -hmm. know, the models are, our tools are changing. Like you had just said, you know, we know artificial intelligence is coming down the pike. We know that it's going to have an effect on, on parts of our agencies, how our agencies are staffed and what our capabilities are going to be in the future. Yeah. I want to touch on one thing before we, before we wrap up. And that is, so you and I had a similar experience in that our acquirers were run by people younger than us. So my, I think it was a 15 plus year difference in my case. And I think there's a, there's an age, uh, gap, quite a few. Uh, yep. so I, I just find that interesting. What were your observations around just the integration with something that might be a different generation, different culture, different, you know, a lot of things different. They may be fantastic people, but there are definitely some differences from us you know, more seasoned folks and the younger generations. What are your observations around that for anyone who's listening and might be thinking, well, I'm too old. I, you know, thinking that someone with grayer hair is going to buy them. Yeah, I would say, first of all, and I'll be very, I'll be very vulnerable and transparent with that agency owner that's listening. It's hard, right? It's definitely a challenge. I had to go through my own kind of metamorphosis. 
So there is a 15 year difference. I am officially the oldest person here, but here's one of the things that I do know about myself. And that is that I have an expertise and I have a skill set that nobody else can match. They all have their own, but the way that I shine in my areas, in my domains, I truly own it and I excel at that. Okay, that's number one. Number two is I think for every single agency owner, you have better how to have a core competency in tech. Okay, I knew how to speak social, Slack, project management, Monday. You can throw me into HubSpot. You can throw me into any platform at any time and I will find my way around, no problem. So I think that, you know, that I was able to participate in all the areas. It was like, okay, great, Slack, great, invite me to the channel. And I think a lot of our communications, Raj, have gone online, have gone from mm -hmm. offline to online. So we're, we almost have like our own kind of avatars throughout the day. I'm Tina on Slack and Monday. However, how old I am no longer really matters. It's not we're here in the office and we're going out after work and we're, you know, going to a Taylor Swift concert or something like that. You, but that agency, the, that agency owner, you're going to go through a transformation. And again, eventually I had to just I had to just come to terms. It's hard because I'm used to being like the youngest. And I'm like, how did I get here? <laughs> like, what happened? You I still think I'm 20 something in my head. That's exactly. the funny. It's like, I'm in my fifties and I think I'm 20 something in my head. That's the weirdest. <laughs> Same thing. I still like blast ACDC and Guns N' Roses in my car. You know, I like, I love all of that stuff. Right. So there's a part of me that's like very, still very youthful and playful. And so for the agency owner slash operator that's open to that, there's a lot of things that you learn. A different generations of people can get along together. It mm -hmm. takes an effort and you have to be willing to be uncomfortable sometimes and be like, yep, uh-huh. When was that person born? Yep. And you're yep. celebrating a birthday in the <laughs> in, in the office and you're like, yep, I'm old enough to be that person's mother officially. But you know, then again, I feel so blessed, so blessed and fortunate to be here. I've been very open that I suffered a life-threatening emergency. And that is that I, I sold my agency on November 1st. And on January 16th, 2023, three months later, they found a 2.6 millimeter centimeter, I'm sorry, cancerous tumor on my right lung that needed to be removed and chemotherapy and all of that following. Thank God that I had joined an agency of nimble, you know, passionate group of marketers and experts. And I have to tell you is, you know, whether or not I was the oldest person here or the youngest person here, I have been so embraced. You never know how that next generation is going to show up for you. Mm -hmm. And I am just so, so grateful to be here and to be working alongside people who are just passionate, who share. That's the one thing, Raj, that we all share, a passion to be the very best, a passion to produce our best work, a passion to help our client. That knows no generation. That knows no, no boundary. And again, if you leave yourself open, 
you'll find yourself going for like some swanky, like we went for an ax throwing, like who knows? Nice. <laughs> I'm just like, you know what? Bring it on, bring it yeah. on. It's the, the funny thing is when you think about it, when I would think when I was growing up about somebody in their fifties or sixties, I'd picture a really old person. And now I'm here. It's like, I could work another 30 plus years. So it, you and I are in this position where we have all this experience under our belt. And I think that's acknowledged and appreciated by people in the industry. And we're might be viewed as old by them, but not like ready to be put away. So I think that it's a, it's really a, it's a fantastic time to be a little bit more seasoned right now. Yeah. And you really do. You have to learn. You have to keep up with them. If you have to earn that respect, I will right. say, right. You yep. can be however old you are. Everybody will give you a shot. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to put, pull your weight and keep up with what's going on. And mm -hmm. for some people listening, that might be a learning curve. That might be spending right. some time on the weekends. That might be going back to school. That might be or going for another certification. I think no matter what generation you are as a marketer and working in an agency environment, you better be lifting constantly, constantly, or you'll be yeah. out of a job no matter how old you are. Yeah. Yeah. That's the nature of the industry. I mean, for if sure. you're not learning at a faster rate than your client, there's not, you're not going to have many clients. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, so maybe we can wrap up, Tina, with this. What would be a message that you would have to you of five or 10 years ago? What are some major learnings and thoughts that you've had about growing the agency, about being able to sell and join another group that's, it sounds like a, you had a wonderful path, but of course, we all have some pain along that way. What were some things that you could tell to your prior self that would jump over some of those, leapfrog some of those painful moments to getting to where you are? So there are a couple of things. Number one is that partnership was the road and was the path to doing my best work and the best version of myself. And I really should have had, I really should have explored partnership sooner. I waited way too long, Raj. Mm -hmm. I waited way too long. And part of that is what we talked about, the ego. It's difficult to be totally transparent and open with people and saying, you know what? Hey, what's really working? I know you think it's working, but it's really not working for me. That's a hard thing to admit. It's a hard thing to admit to yourself. It's certainly a thing, a hard admit to other people, let alone your client. That's, you know, um, yeah. but eventually your client can see that in you, whether or not you are articulating or communicating. So number one would be, would be partnerships. I would say number two is that you don't know what you don't know and to leave yourself open to different con configurations of work. I mean, it can be really, it can be a very exciting and vibrant time for you. Initially, it could be very scary for some, but I just find that if you're a lifelong learner and if you like challenge and if you like opportunity and you like the novelty that marketing agency work provides you, I would have explored the opportunity sooner. Say mm -hmm. number one is that partnership. Number two is my timing. Had I mm -hmm. known what I know now, Raj, I would have had those discussions long, long ago. And I would have potentially avoided some of the conflicts that I had at work, 
some of the even my own challenges, you know, sitting alone and second guessing myself. I would have spent a little right. less money on masterminds. I'm all for masterminds, <laughs> but probably after one was good. And I'm convinced too that I would have that I would be in a healthier state. I'm certainly on the road to recovery and getting amazing medical care and treatment. But here's the thing is that we'll have much more vibrant cultures at work. I think like right now we've learned from the pandemic that, oh, and we've learned from our own families, particularly our generation, Raj, you know, we've got kids, we've got parents. You, culture matters. And you're able to, I think, create a, it, for me, it's just a healthier culture. It's a healthier life balance. Right now, for me, that's a non-negotiable. My mm -hmm. health and the environment and the culture at work is a non-negotiable. I couldn't say that. You know, we, as you and I being in the same cohort and being in the same generation, we put up with a lot of situations earlier on in our careers that right now that millennials and digital Z's would be like, are you kidding? I'd be out of here in a day. <laughs> you, did, you did what? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So our best culture, the ability to give life to a thriving culture at work, well, that happens through collaboration and through communication and through community. You're not mm -hmm. going to be able to build those cultures, I'm sorry, being a team of five. You know, right. being a team of 20, you know, and yes, will there be a tipping point? Absolutely. Where intentionally we might have to dial it back and we might have to be more, more thoughtful. But I would say that for any agency owner listening, you know, what your non-negotiables are, for me later in my career is when I really started to articulating them writing them down, know what those are before you go into any new relationship. And again, you might find yourself really surprised and have a second life through that next opportunity. That's great. Well, those are some fantastic takeaways. Just wish you could put it in a bottle and send it back in time, right? Well, I'm so, so glad we have them recorded though. Yeah, I know. We've captured them for posterity. It's, it's you know, so our, our kids will be watching this. <laughs> yeah, I think it's so. And I'm also too, I'm inspired by the work that you're doing. And I'm inspired by the fact that you're putting this out. Because another regret was that, where was this podcast? When, where was this podcast when I needed it? I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall and heard our conversation today that would have right. really helped a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully I know people will get a lot out of this, Tina. You've shared a lot about really staying your self-awareness and staying in your genius and making sure that the work is the right environment and is mentally stimulating and that people shouldn't have to go through the, the crushing style of the grinder that we did. And I think people can take a lot from your lessons. So I appreciate your time here. Tell folks where they can find you, where they can find in the suite, all of those things so that they can run you down and get more about intentionally know what you're doing. Sure. So you can connect with me on LinkedIn at Tina Powell. You can absolutely send me an email at Tina at growintentionally.com. You can connect with me on all social platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, um, I'm only listening on TikTok. I'm not producing any content over there. 
And I would say for In The Suite, we're on all the major podcast platforms. Most of our listeners are listening on either Apple, Spotify, or Google. And so I encourage you to tune in if you want to hear inspiring conversations from women in, in financial services. And Raj, I thank you so much for the opportunity today. I'm excited excited that this will go out and we've captivated a lot of the great ideas here and captured them. Thank you so, so much. It's been a thrill.